Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome to the ESPN Footy Podcast for episode two of the AFL season. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Subway. Get your mid-match feast delivered fresh. Subway, eat fresh. Uh, If you missed our first episode last week, it's pretty timeless. Make sure you go back and churn through that. Hit subscribe and tell your mates because we've got another massive year planned. My name's Matt Walsh and speaking of a massive year, Jake Michaels, you made a pretty big promise last week for our upcoming 100th AFL episode, which is just four more weeks away. What's all that about? Well, we still haven't quite decided, but what are we up to? 96? I think this is our 96th episode. 96, yeah. yeah. I think you went and counted them all up. So we've got a few more weeks to work out what we're going to do, but stay tuned. There will be something... I don't want to use the word special because it might not be that special, but it'll be something different. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that you've promised anything at all, I'm I'm a little concerned. Uh, But hey, I'm interested as well. We'll see what you can deliver. Christian Jolly from Champion Data, good to have you on board. Uh, Interesting week because there's just a lot happening and many different moving parts. And I'm sure at CD headquarters, it's all just a bit like Bedlam. Yeah, um, you can add 20 new players to each of the team's lists with the COVID top-up selections. Probably been the uh, latest sort of thing we've been working through um over the weekend and this morning and yeah what are we almost you know as we record this podcast almost 24 hours to go till round one finally starts we can put the off season behind us and get into some real footy that's it i think um you lose that extra day and all of a sudden you're you're not even halfway through the week and footy's back tomorrow as in the afl's back tomorrow so uh pretty crazy times before we do get crackings we do have a big episode to get into uh given uh the afl round one kicks off tomorrow uh, when we're recording this on Tuesday. Jake, something from the week that caught your attention at all? Well, I'm going to, I'm looking at the AFLW as something that caught my attention. Um, and it's the fact that they're now looking at moving. I know this has been slated for a while, but moving the, the start of the season to August. Now, if this actually ends up happening, which it looks like it very well may happen, this is like the AFL's dream, isn't it? Like this will, this is pretty much turned into a, a 12 month of the year operation where there's really no break. Yeah. Well, we always sort of joke about the AFL industry being sort of a 24, seven, 365, except for maybe two weeks when the tennis is on, maybe a week or two when the spring racing carnival is at its peak. Um, you know, but, but other than that, they don't but, really but, sort of see. But the much. W will be running through that period now anyway. Exactly. And then by the time that finishes, you pretty much, you pretty much go straight into AFL preseason men's yeah. preseason. So it's probably not great news for us, but uh, yeah, it's, the AFL must be loving it. There's no, there's no dead time anymore. Well, yes, very interesting because not everyone's on board with this idea. I'm sure fans would be happy to see more AFLW uh, at any time, really. But you know, the players—they're not quite professional yet. There's a whole lot of there are a whole lot of different moving parts and aspects to this. And um, the girls that do the ESPN Footy Pod uh, during the week—they've touched on this uh, the last couple of weeks, and I've got some really good insights. So. Um, if you haven't had a listen, uh, make sure you do tune in because they and they chatted with Lauren Arnell, a uh, former player as well, who's who's sort of you know into the media and she discussed her thoughts on this and and the sort of the um, the challenges that face AFLW if they do move the next season up to just a few months after the current season finishing. So, like I said, uh, get involved if um, get involved if you haven't listened to those already. Christian, anything uh, quirky, interesting, take your attention over the week. Uh, some more AFLW. So again, don't want to take away from the girls' own podcast that they do a great job on. But uh, yeah, just a shout out to Ashley Riddell from North Melbourne. Uh, broke the record, forty-two disposals um, against West Coast on the weekend. Uh, first uh, player in AFLW to reach over thirty-six. I think was the previous high, but Smashed forty-two it. in a game. You know, the games are about sixteen, seventeen-minute quarters. Um, I think her whole whole team might have had. Uh, 308 disposals. So usually we're seeing 40 disposals from the men's go- and, you know, their teams are getting about 450 disposals. She's got over, you know, 10% of her team's disposals, just a phenomenal <laughs> effort and just a phenomenal player. She just, she racks it up every week, runs probably harder than anyone else in the comp. And yeah, the 42 was just, I watched um, a fair bit of her highlights and it's just a whole lot of one twos where she's just running and, you know, <laughs> completing the, completing the chain 50 metres ahead or hundred metres ahead from where she started. So the question I have is, is, did Nathan Buckley come out and say that it wasn't uh, that it wasn't an effective game? 
I don't know. Well, today she didn't get too close to fifty. So isn't isn't fifty the number? Fifty is the fifty is the My question was going to be: 50 and yeah, you get bagged. If you extrapolate it out to twenty-minute quarters plus time on, does it then uh, usurp what sort of Tom Mitchell's been able to do? So that was my first thought as well. Yeah, uh, but sixty, yeah, massive, massive effort. Uh, something I noticed, and and I'm sure the AFL was a little conscious about trying to get crowds back. Um, you know, as many as many people through the doors as they can. Especially, oh, I know what you're going to say. I think I know what you're going to say. I saw this this morning. Did it come I, through this morning? I might have come through this morning. But the latest little petty. Well, firstly, they've frozen tickets for for the I think the early rounds, and they've got twenty two dollar tickets uh, to to all Victorian based games in round one. I think the I think it is. But the thing that caught my eye was they're offering two dollar pies at all Marvel Stadium games <laughs> this week. Is that what you thought, Jay? Yeah, I knew you'd go for that. You love you love a little bargain, don't you? Um, <laughs> a big bargain. Two dollar pie. I tell you what. So it's cheaper to get a pie at Marvel Stadium now than what at your at your local bakery. Yeah, that's Good that's very true. I mean, the quality is probably not as good as your local bakery. In fairness, um, uh, and Marble Stadium, it can be a bit hit and miss the old footy foods. But anyway, I thought that was interesting and, and sort of one way to get the kids interested at the very least. Yeah, two bucks. That's that's a bargain. All right, uh, enough with this sort of other stuff. Let's get into uh, the actual agenda of the pod because there's a heap to talk about. Uh, Jake, our preseason predictions yarn went up uh, on the website espn.com.au forward slash AFL. Uh, went up this morning. We've got uh, a few contributors in there who have listed their premier, their runner-up, their wooden spoon winner, their Brownlow winner, their Coleman winner, their rising star, and there's a big call in amongst there as well. Uh, some big names. Rowan Connolly's put his name in there. Christian, you put your name in there. Jake, myself, um, Jared Barker, Marnie Vinyl from uh, the AFLW pod, uh, part of the pod. Uh, am I missing anyone? Uh, Chris Dory, who our draft expert, he he penned his thoughts as well so yeah as you said um some really some really interesting takes there and some of the big calls i think we got to change it to huge calls you'll you'll i'm i'm not going to spoil christians yet but i tell you what there's some monster calls in there so well he's graduated from really really stingy big calls in year one of the pod uh if you if you do remember back and you were with us from day one i'm pretty sure it was that gold coast would win a game in 2019 and that's shattering stuff over here didn't they win three of the first four or something? <laughs> I believe it was one game in the first four weeks because everyone had written them off for the whole season. I think they won. I think they were three and one. Yeah, that's uh, right. They were two. And wasn't that the year that was it? Aaron Hall had nine Brownlow votes through three weeks. Three as well. weeks, yeah. Yeah, interesting times. Uh, but yes, Jake, uh, we thought we'd run through a few of these. Uh, we won't spoil them all because it's, there's not all of us on this podcast today. Uh, but I guess let's sort of run through what your immediate thoughts are. Premier, runner-up, wooden spoon. I mean, take us through your big preseason predictions. All right, well, I'll start with the Premier. Um, this is the first time I've ever done this, and I because I know it's so difficult to do going back-to-back, but I have picked Melbourne. I, I settled on Melbourne. I tossed up probably three or four teams, and it was really, really hard to pick. Of, all, of everything on this list, the Premier is the one I struggled with the most, and I went back and forth a lot. I settled with Melbourne purely because I look at I look at all the contenders, and I think you make the case that Mel and it's not just sort of looking at the grand final what happened, but it's it's looking at the the body of work that they've put in over the last twelve months, and I think you can certainly make the case that Melbourne have the best midfield, the best defence, the best ruckman, and if not the best forward line, the most unique forward line in the comp. Um, they haven't necessarily lost anyone. Um, the the hunger will still be there, I believe. And I just don't see why they wouldn't be. They feel the safest bet at right now, I think, to go back, to at least get back to the grand final. It's funny because we talk about how um, on the pod, we talk a fair bit about how it is tough to win a flag. One team out of 18 wins a a premiership every year. But if you go back over the last 20 odd years, winning back-to-back flags, it's not been as difficult as you might imagine. It's not been, it's not say going back to back like the Brownlow medal or something, but it's still more likely that you're not going to go back to back than you are. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Like if you're, if you're primed for a run at the top, and, and this is where you kind of need to make the distinction between teams that are potentially sort of like your West Coast 2018 sort of side, which can kind of prime itself for a, for, mm. for a grand final or a premiership win. And then, and then you look at a side like Richmond where, they obviously had planned for sustained success. Um, you know, Tom Lynch comes into that side. You know, you kind of need to make that that sort of judgment. And, and the D's, I think you're right, Jake, do have that sort of vibe about them uh, that they may be able to 
have a sustained run at the top. Giving you a look at, you know, Christian Petrarca, Clayton Oliver in the middle, like they're not old guys. No. Max Gorn, in terms of like a leader, he, he's not one of the older leaders on, on the on the park. And 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 as you say, the forward line, maybe that's maybe where my question is, like a, a big sort of like massive presence up there because at times they relied on Ben Brown, at times they relied on McDonald, Bailey Fritch. You know, there are it, it's a unique it's a unique makeup in that forward line, but there wasn't that's almost- a, a consistent focal point. That's that's almost a strength, though. Again, in that, in terms of you've got Tom McDonald, who has got five goal games under his belt. You've got Ben Brown, who's got eight, ten goal games under his belt, and Bailey Fritz just kicked six in a grand final. So you, they're they're not lacking for firepower, but yeah, they're lacking for that. You know that that get out target of that. There's that one target that we know we're always going to go down the long line. So that that becomes predictable to the opposition. So I think that's one of their greatest strengths in terms of that they were one of the best scoring teams last year without a clear defined number one. Uh, focal point up there. Mm, yeah, yeah, interesting to see how uh, how they go, and and you know, obviously, cliches about premiership hangovers and, and all that sort of stuff. Put that aside and and see how they crack in on Wednesday night. Christian, you've gone with a similar vibe to myself for your premier. Can you reveal who you've gone for? Yeah, I've gone Port Adelaide, um, and very similar um, to where I was with Melbourne last year. I think my big call for Melbourne last year was they, you know, finish close to the top of the ladder, and you know. Um, dominate the competition, which, you know, ended up winning the premiership. But Port of the same, just looking at, you know, if we want to call it the last 50-game form or so, the last two seasons for Port Adelaide, they haven't really put a foot wrong. Uh, I know they haven't got to the, you know, they haven't got to a grand final in either of those two years, but their time's coming. Again, looking at their list, it's only getting better. Um, Butters, Dersma, all the, you know, even Wines is not, you know, he's not um, too old. I think both. It's funny that Rosie's not mentioned. Like it's, I know. Wrote, yeah, I, well, Rosie, exactly. Is another forget one. about him now. Georgiadis. They're just too, well, there's too yeah. many to mention. There is, there Carl, Carl Amon's yeah. an All-Australian wingman now. So again, there's, there's just, you can reel off the names. They haven't lost too much. They're probably got a little bit stronger with Finlayson, as I said, with natural progression. So I've gone poor with my premiers based on, as I said, looking at their last 50 odd games that they've played. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I I've, think. I've, I've got Sorry, I was a... going to say on Finlayson, I think that is such an underrated acquisition. Well, it's not too late to change your tip, Jake, as well. Well, uh, Port, look, I told you before we started, Port was the Port was one of the teams I was really tossing up, and I was surprised that you guys both went for Port. Well, I'm surprised that there seems to be a fair bit of apathy surrounding Port from their own fan base. You know, from what I've read and the feedback we've received about about Ken Hinckley in particular and the way that the power play. You know, this is a side that was minor premier a couple of years ago and, and second on the ladder at the end of last season. So, you know, th- this is a pretty consistent outfit, as Christian pointed out, in terms of recent form. And Absolutely. yeah, the acquisition of Finlayson's an interesting one. You know, Charlie Dixon might miss a few weeks. So it's kind of good to have that whole plug. Georgiades look like, you know, he's a star in the making and all the pieces around. And and, and you can, they keep finding these kind of guys like Willem Drew, who can become a consistent performer in the midfield as well. Um, Peter Adams might be a bit of a loss for them as well, but like I'm really bullish on Port when some of their fans might not be, and I'm I'm a bit surprised at that. Maybe it's just a given the time that Hinkley's been in in the job and and the frustration of some of the results, but um, I don't think they're very far away at all. No, and you and you guys rattled off 10, 10 young players there that they've that they've got impressive players. Then you add in Ollie Wines who just won a Brownlow, Trav Boak who's reinvigorated his career, and Robbie Gray who is one of the smartest small forwards that can push in the midfield. Yes, he's older, but he's, but he doesn't need to play the role that he has in the past. They are they're They're right there. I, I might be wrong, but I don't think there's a team in the last two years that have, that's won more games than Port. So mm. I, I certainly don't think it's a crazy call uh, picking them. And I, I'm kind of with you. I don't understand the, you did the, you did a piece a couple of weeks ago on the, the coaching power rankings and yeah, the, the, you're right. A lot of people just not a fan of Ken Hinckley. Maybe it's because he's been there for how long? Eight, nine years, yeah, and they haven't won a flag. But as we said on the top, only one team wins one each year. Well, and sometimes it's one team over a stretch of many years. So, uh, look, um, someone's got to be the bridesmaid, though. They've got to finish as the runner-up. I know there's uh, not a whole lot of scientific sort of discussion going on here with, with that, Jake, but who have you got there as your runner-up for the... the yeah, exactly that. I think you can just kind of throw a dart at sort of five or six teams. I ended up just going with Brisbane just for something a little bit different. They haven't they haven't been there. They've kind of been close uh, over the last couple of years. They We know they've been a good regular season team and they've sort of fallen away a little bit in finals. A little like Port, um, but I don't see it as a trend. It, I, people look at it, people look at two years or three years and go, oh, it's a trend. They 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 can't make it in finals. Like, ah, 
I, I think there's a few factors at play there. I still think they're a good team. And would I be, would we be surprised if Brisbane were in a grand final this year? No, I wouldn't. So I just went with Brisbane. Yeah, no, fair enough. Um, I've gone with the Western Bulldogs, but uh, Christian's got a stat for us later when we chat about uh, some of the contenders that has me double thinking, make, makes me think twice about this, actually. Uh, so I've got the Dogs as being runner-up for the second straight uh, season. Christian, who have you gone with? Yeah, I've gone with Melbourne. Again, just how, how you know, they've just made the grand final and won it. Um, I'll tip Port to win it, but I'm not kicking Melbourne out of the grand final at all. Fair enough. Uh, we say someone's got to win it. Someone's got to be a runner-up. Someone's going to finish on the bottom, Jake. Yes, they do. And I have a little glint in my eyes. I say this, but I think, I think it's going to be Collingwood. I really do. Don't, don't love their, I don't like their list at all. I just don't, don't see the, the talent there. I know, I know Dacos will, will, he'll, he'll come in, he'll play a role. He'll be a star straight away, but I'm just not excited about Collingwood. They had a massive stretch of last year where they looked awful and I don't see them being any better this year. And I think when you look at the other teams that were towards the bottom of the, the ladder, Adelaide, Gold Coast, North, they all showed signs later in the in the back half of the year that they could be competitive. I, I don't know. I, I just don't think Collingwood's... I don't think it's that crazy uh, to say that Collingwood will finish on the bottom of the ladder this year. So I know we're talking wooden spooners, but I've actually got them... I've gone the other way with Collingwood. I've got them as my biggest riser, just based on, I think, last year was just just horrible for them. I just, I just don't think they're bad. And again, looking at raw talent on their list compared to those other teams you just mentioned, Gold Coast, North Adelaide for 2022, I think their, their talent is still better than, than those three teams and probably a couple of teams that, you know, like three on that that finished above them. So again, I'm just looking at them. They went so low last year to 16th. I think they can get up to about, I'm not expecting them to make finals, but a 10th or a 9th and that season being the biggest riser. So it's funny in terms of, I'm not, I'm not, you know, very, very bright. I don't, know, I don't think they're going to make finals, but I just think last year, I'd, I think last year was as worse as it could get for them. They lost a coach. Their game style just fell apart. They sort of, a lot of, you know, we looked at um, probably Adams was out late in the year. Degoe just wasn't the same. Degoe, um, side bottom wasn't, you know, was getting a bit of the ball at half forward, but not the same through the midfield. So, I, I again, I just think Collingwood could bounce back this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of either way on, on the pies. Given we didn't get to see, uh, you know, Craig McRae's game plan in action too much, um, you look at a move like Pendlebury to the, the sort of the halfback position. We discussed this a little bit last week. You know, that's that's kind of, it's one of two things for me. It's, geez, we need a bit of level head and, and experience in defence because we think it's going to be in there a lot and we need to have these leaders around the ball. Or it's, you know, we think we're confident that we can use such an elite kick uh, to, to springboard forward and, and, and score a lot and be they're confident in their game plan. So I'm not kind of sure which way that's going to go. I think we need a bigger sample size than what we've seen so far. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised sort of either way, given what we, you know, what, as you say, there was a caretaker, um, you know, Robert Harvey was in still for the last sort of seven to eight weeks. So there's a little bit of an unknown about the pies. I think for me, it's the forward line. I just, I just hate their forward line. I just don't <laughs> see them scoring exactly. enough. Like I love Taylor Adams. I think he's a great player. You know, if he can stay fit, Adams and Dacos and Dugowie, you know, when he's in the middle playing kind of like that Jake Stringer type role where he's really good in the middle and then pushes forward. Um, and then Pendlebury doesn't need to be in there as much. He can play that role of halfback, but I just don't see them scoring 80, 90, 100 points consistently. I just don't know where the goals are going to come from. Uh, Christian, we've again copied each other's homework. We've both got uh, North Melbourne as the wooden spoon. Uh, is, any particular reason for this? Because they were again, average last year. <laughs> yeah, again, it's, I mean, looking at pass and just probably... Just looking at, um, and again, probably their form is probably better than some of the other teams in later later in the season. But yeah, just again, just looking at list and probably the last two years, like, I don't think Adelaide are going to be you know too far above them. I think those two are probably going to be bottom two. Or just yeah, just Gordon with North ahead of those two. Yeah, and and securing the number one draft pick and, and a number one draft pick of the expectation of of performance that Jason Horn Francis brings to that side. Um, it can kind of paper over the fact that they were the, the you know the 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 worst team in the competition last year. We said it a little bit though throughout the season. They're probably one of the better wooden spoon winning sides that we've seen in recent years in terms of you know like, you know five and a half wins, which is you know up there with with some of the better sides that have finished towards the bottom. Um, but like it's still going to be a it's still going to be a bit of a long slog. And David Noble's in charge for you know year two now. We've seen coaches in the past where you know they come in with some fresh ideas in year one and they snag a couple of wins. Um, and then, you know, things kind of can, can 
you know, slow down and, and there's a bit of struggle and, and other sides can kind of work out what these these teams do. So I just feel like, you know, it's not a bad thing that, that if they do finish on the bottom again, I, I feel like they could be one of the, again, better sides to win the wooden spoon. But that's always the that's always the case when you get the AFL trying to have this sort of equalisation throughout the league over the last few years. And they're trying to have these sort of teams on as much of a level playing field as they can. So no disrespect to North fans in that one, that's for sure. But um, yeah, see, I see it going that way. Jake? Brownlow, this is your domain, so I'm going to sort of defer to you on this. Um, you've sort of seen what the players in contention have been able to do the last few years. You've got a Brownlow tracker that we run on espn.com.au forward slash AFL. Gets updated every Monday after the first week at least. Uh, who do you sort of see taking it out this year? Uh, again, I'm sort of going down. I don't normally take the obvious path um, with my predictions, but I, I just can't go past Christian Petrarca. I think that I think that grand final will look back on at the end of this year and say that was the moment he became the best player in the AFL. I think that's the moment he, he took the baton from Dusty or Danger or whoever you want to say was the, the previous best player. I think he is now the number one player in the league. My only question with Petrarca is will he can he not can he? I know he can, but will he play at that level every week? There were 10 to 12 games last year where he was incredible and comfortably the comfortably best or second best player on the ground. But there are also eight or nine games where it's not that he played poorly, but he didn't really didn't really have a game where he's gonna poll any votes. So yeah. that's my concern. Whereas someone like Clayton Oliver, his teammate, is probably gonna poll in more games. Um, but I think Petrarca's got the ability to pull more threes. And I, I just think that game, as I said, I think the grand final, that performance, one of the greatest grand final performances of all time, I think we'll look back on that um, at the end of this year and really look at that and say, yeah, that was the moment he he became the the face of the leagues in some respect. And yeah, he's, he's my pick for this year. Fair enough. Uh, I've gone with Jack Steele. I think... The concern I have with the Saints midfield is, and they'll be a decent enough side. They'll be within that sort of six to twelve range again. Um, I just feel like he's he's by far and away that number one man in there. And and if they do poll, if the Saint if a Saint does poll in a loss or in a win or whatever, um, it's going to be that man who's going to take it out. Christian, I know that you've got a massive call for your Brownlow medal. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip that because uh, we're going to reveal that in your big call for the year. Um, I will, I'll, I'll just jump in quickly. I'll, I will say I I would have went Sam Walsh before the Cindermosis though. And I was going to ask right. Jake if he was going to be the same. Like I, I was. The injury news, I, I would probably have gone Sam Walsh. But Yep. I, 100%. I, after, after probably, I think during the count last year, I was saying Sam Walsh will win it next year. But you can't miss five or six weeks and, and do it. I mean... Yeah, it's just not going to happen. But I, I would be surprised if he didn't win one in his career. Uh, you guys have split a couple of cats for the Coleman medal. Jake? Yeah, I've gone Jeremy Cameron. I, I just think he's... I picked him last year for the Coleman. And again, just like Sam Walsh, he didn't play the first six rounds. And he came storming back. And I think, again, I haven't checked this, but I'm pretty sure he, he still had the highest average goals per game over the course of the season, Jeremy Cameron. So... Yeah, I think if he if he if he plays the majority of the season, if he's playing 18, 19 games at least, yeah, I think he's a huge chance to win it. Um, and you know, he's still gonna get supply. He's fantastic, he's a fantastic set shot and he's very clever around the ground as you know, at ground level as well. So yeah, I think he's I, I still think he's the best key forward in the league. And yeah, I am I'll be uh putting my money on Jeremy Cameron, so to speak. So to speak. <laughs> uh, very good. Uh, we gamble responsibly to all of those who do want to have a flutter on this sort of stuff. Uh, Christian, Tom Hawkins, you've gone another cat. Yeah, I've just gone for the, um, again, what Jake was saying. I probably didn't factor in how many goals Cameron will probably take off him, but I've gone for the durability factor of mm. Hawkins always plays and he kicks. He's just your focal point. I think he should be, you know, he's, he's moves quite well for a big man. He does get up around the ground and up on the wing. Hopefully he does that less this year and just sort of camps in the goal square. Um, I mean, you know, there's a few of them. I know Buddy's around. He's probably a bit older, but just look at Tom Hawkins and you just call him a, a professional goal kicker. That's, mm. that's what he does. So I'd bank on him kicking another 60 or so to lead the comp again. Fair enough. Uh, let's keep whipping through these. The rising star, Jake, you and myself, we've both gone with Nick Dacos to have a big year with the Pies. Is that is that anything behind that? Just the fact that he's going to play for every game and, and he's going to be in a pretty poor side and will we'll look pretty good? Or is there anything else? Oh, I think most people will be 
you ask most people, they'll be saying either Dacos or Horn Francis. I, I think it's more of a narrative award. Um, and I think if both of them have a, the, an equal season, I think the edge will go to Dacos, um, you know, for his name, playing at Collingwood. I think that will be, he'll sort of get the edge if they have a, the same type of season. Just like yeah. we say, if, if you know, Patrick Dangerfield and Sam Menegola have the identical game, who do you think is getting three Brownlow votes? So, um, yeah, I, I think Dacos will get it. But, yeah, it's certainly tight. I mean, it's hard to pick. And there are, it's not to say that they're the only two. There's a handful of others that could certainly win it. Well, I was very close to saying Joshua Shelley at, at Adelaide. Sort of similar vibes. You know, he'll get a lot of looks this year. Uh, and, and from what I've sort of seen, he's a ready-made, ready-to-go kind of player and, and, and looks like he could play some serious minutes for the, for the Crows. And so I was close to doing, going with him. Um, Christian, you've gone with Jason Horn-Francis. Is similar sort of vibe to what Jake's saying is in that, you know, he'll have a pretty, they'll have pretty similar seasons as in they'll play most games if they're fit. Uh, and any other reasoning behind that? I think, um, again, just comparing the two, uh, yeah, again, it was between Horn Francis and Nick Dacos for me. Just, I think Horn Francis has got the, he's going to have the better highlight reel in year one. He, he's going to probably kick a couple of, um, you know, goal of the week contenders. He can take a few big marks and some of his tackles as well. Like he can make an impact with his tackling. Again, I just, I just think he's, he's, visual highlight tape will just sort of pip him just ahead of Dacos. But yeah, who will be a better player? Who will who will have a better career? I think they're very, very different. Um, you know, and that's what it is. Nick Dacos will be could be one of the best outside players we see. He just he just racks up the ball. He can move the ball really, really well. Whereas Jason Horn Francis, he might be similar to I know Petrarca's not like this, but he could be more of a he only needs to get it 20, 25 times. He he'll take a big mark and kick you a big goal and things like that. So I think very, very different players. Um mm. You know, Dacos is probably going to be the, the fantasy player and the stats king. Um, yeah. Jason Horn France is going to be the, the highlight tape king. And that's another reason for for going the Dacos route for the for the rising star. I think his stat line at the end of the year, I agree. I think Horn France may have a better visual package, but the stat line will be uh, heavily in, in Dacos's favor, I would imagine. All right, let's get into the important stuff. It's time for the big call. Uh, and there are a couple that we sort of skipped for Christian and myself. I didn't do my common medal winner because that's my big call but jake we might as well start with you please on record for podcast land out there we can keep track over these over the year and see how we go your big call for 2022 my big call for 2022 is that carlton will play in a preliminary final and this is coming from the most pessimistic (laughs) negative carlton fan in melbourne uh i'm really impressed I've every year you guys come in, um, and you say it's all you know, this is Carlton's year, we're going to make finals this year. And I, and what do I say every year? No, don't say that. You have, don't, oh. don't look at me that way. You're That's always unfair. saying, you, Jared, who's not on here, you know, you're always <laughs> really high on Carlton. I'm like, nah, not happening, not happening this year. Mark it down. If we don't do it this year, you can say I was wrong, but I think Carlton, are, oh. I think this could be the year. We see it every year. Every year there's a team that has a substantial jump. There's no reason it can't be Carlton this year. I think the, the list looks better. The list looks stronger. Yes, you'd love to have Sam Walsh playing from week one. I love Michael Voss. I think he can do, I think he can really get that that list playing well. The midfield has just got more depth now. Coleman medalist, uh, one of the best key backs in the league. Really strong midfield. Patrick Cripps looks looks fitter. Um, I, I, I expect big things from the Blues this year. You, you let slip something very interesting there in that little monologue, Jake, and you use the term we, which is very rare for you, especially when talking about the Blues. So I can tell you're actually very excited. So I am. Carlton fans out there. Um, Already got my membership. Wow. First <laughs> one since me. 1995. But I, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I do. I really think it's, if there's, always, there's always one team that has a big jump every year. You know, last year, Sydney had that big jump and we had Rocco on here who predicted that one. So, look, there's no reason why it can't be Carlton this year. Um, but we shall see. We may end up finishing 12th again and Michael Voss might get sacked. So, who knows? <laughs> That's a big call. Um, mine's pretty big too. I'll, I'll get to Christian's in a moment because I think it's the biggest call of all. We need time to sort of digest this, uh, to digest that one. But I, I think that Bailey Fritch might win the Coleman medal this year. I just get this feeling that he's a tough guy to match up on. 
He's a real. He, he can. He can. He can grab the ball. He's good at, at, at ground level. He's he's smart. His footy brain is quite switched on. He's an in between size. So unless he's, you've got he's a Toby who's, Green, he plays big. Plays like a key forward. And and sort of similar to Toby Green, he's a great kick of the footy. And you just sort of you see that he he can kind of kick these bags. He had a I think he had a bag of six last year, a couple of bags of five in the preseason. He bagged five. I just he get the feeling six that in the grand final, didn't he? He certainly did. I think he could kick 75 goals and win the Coleman medal this year. Well, that's a, that is a big call. 75. I could see him kicking 55, 60, 75 might be a stretch, but Hey, 60, 65 could win you a Coleman in the, these, you know, in these times. I think um, 70, 70 to be safe, 75 to be safe. That's why I said certainly 75. In the, you're certainly around the mark. Um, yeah. But I agree. He's one of the tougher toughest matchups as a forward for any defender because he can play tall. He's fantastic at ground level. And the thing is, you know, look at Harry Mackay. Yes, he won it last year, but he had a lot of chances. You know, someone like Fritch or Green, um, you know, or Cameron and Hawkins who were talking before, they are good. They are good in front of the sticks. They, they, they take chances, their chances. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't need to have 180 shots at goal. You know, if Bailey Fritch has 130 shots at goal, over the course of the season, he's probably kicking 70, 75 goals. So, yeah, I, um, it's a big call, but I, that's the point I'm not of the, writing that's it the point off. Of the exercise, Jack. Yeah, I'm not writing it off. I could certainly oh. see him finishing top five. You, you thought mine was a big call. This is a big call, Christian. It's huge. This is the biggest, this is the biggest call we've ever had. <laughs> oh, I feel like you're overselling it. But... <laughs> this is how I'm selling it on social later. I've, uh, I've, Gone uh, Zach Butters to win the Brownlow after uh, Sam Walsh's injury. And then I just sort of doubled up on that and realised, well, I've tipped Port to win, win the Premiership. So let's uh, t- tip Zach Butters to win the uh, Norm Smith and Brownlow double this year. So just to put this into perspective, <laughs> Zach Butters. Okay, so right now, where would you say Zach Butters is in terms of, is Zach Butters a top 50 player in the league? Yes. Okay, I I wouldn't be. Sh- I'm not saying he isn't, but I wouldn't be 100% certain of that right now. To put that call in perspective, so you're essentially saying Zach Butters will win a, f- a premiership, a Norm Smith medal, and a Brownlow ne- this season. That's what Dustin Martin did in 2017, who at the time you would have said is a top three player in the league, and no one would have disputed Leading that. Leading into 2017, you would have said that. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Certainly top five. And that trifecta was paying 5,000 to one for Dustin <laughs> Martin. You, you can write your own ticket on this for Zach Butters. I love it. I think it's a great call. What, um, why, do you see, happened, why do you see this sort of improvement coming from Butters this year, Christian? Again, I just, um, yeah, his injury uh, sort of issues for the last two years. I think I've robbed us of footy fans of seeing just how good he is. He's, He's listed as a general forward at the moment. He's playing a little bit of bit, uh, a little bit of midfield time. But even as a general forward, you look across the board. He is elite and above average in every part of his game. Um, and then when he moves into the midfield, he's been, you know, he's shown he can be an elite ball ball winner in there, an elite clearance winner, uh, and hit the scoreboard. He just he has that type of game that really sort of um, it's. As I said, I, I feel like the the guys that can get thirty touches but sort of be a bit more attacking with the ball. Um, should stand out higher in the Brownlow. You know, I sort of get sucked into, you know, those guys when I'm tipping the Brownlow. He's that type of player. He will get you the ball. He'll get you 30 metres. He'll, um, you know, he'll do the basics, but he'll also do the exciting stuff too. I just, yeah, I, I really feel like Zach Butters, and that's probably where I'm coming from. He's probably, again, we always speak about how you've got to get the votes from the umpire. So I don't know where he was in the Brownlow voting last year. And you're probably right, Jake. He probably wasn't in the top 50 for the Brownlow um, votes, which make it harder. But as I said, he'll be he'll be a household name by the end of the season. He's probably where I'm getting at with Zach Butters that he would just be a genuine star for Port Adelaide's midfield. You talk about sort of the these these where he ranks elite for all these sorts of things, and he'll get, just get you 30 meters. I think you said he's a tenacious player. He's one of those guys that you just know that he's going to crack in every single time the ball is in the vicinity. And it's not you know not to say that other players don't, but he he is almost relentless in his attack on the footy and and they're the sort of players i think you're right right under the umpire's noses you know really cracking in really helping the teammates hitting the scoreboard you know has a has a presence on the field i think you're right like now that you said it the boxes are kind of being ticked for guys that do poll well in brownlows and if port have a good year as we've kind of said that they might 
um, you know, and, and he has a good year and stays injury free. Maybe it's not the biggest but call. Are you not concerned about the fact that Ollie Wines just won it with about 36 votes and his teammate and Trav Boak had another 20. So there's, there's 56, 57 <laughs> votes there. Um, yeah, that's sort of. I, I don't think Boke's going to be up in the twenties again, and that's that's the worry for me. It, again, it's it's in the umpire's hands. So will mm. they start noticing butters over wines? Um, you know, I, I think he needs a. You you almost need like that banker year where you show the umpires that you're a good player, and then they are starting to look out for you the following week. Yeah, you know, I just said it before about Menegola and Dangerfield, but you could say the same thing with wines and butters. I think they play the exact same game. Wines is going to get the votes. He's he's the proven player now. And I think that it always takes a year or two to catch up. Look at the Dane Swan, Chris Judd sort of uh, debacle of 2010, 2011. <laughs> it's a good way to put it. Um, well, there you go. If you agree, if you disagree, let us know at Footy Tips on Twitter. Uh, as I said, the yarn that has everyone's full predictions and there are a couple of extras in there that we didn't get to. The there podcast. are a couple of um, there. Well, there's everyone's put in a huge call, and there's some there's some other ones which are really really cool as well. So yeah, check yeah. it out for sure. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on a little bit without getting too port centric in this podcast. Um, it, like we said, it's it's hard to win a flag, and just one team wins one every year. And every year there are sides that go through some pretty big heartbreaks. And you look at Port, you look at the Dogs last year, you look at Brisbane, who squandered a chance to play in a home grand final a couple of years ago. Geelong over many years. You know, these are teams that are perennially sort of there at the pointy end, you know, with the exception of maybe the Dogs who, who just made it last year after a few years a bit lower. But I thought we'd talk about what it is these teams need to do to take the next step and, and challenge for a flag and, and, and maybe come, come from, not nowhere, but come from the pack to, to win the Premiership in 2022. Christian, you know, looking at these teams in particular, Port, Brisbane, Geelong, the Dogs, is there anything in the stats? And we seem to talk about Premiership metrics a fair bit on this podcast as in the things that premiership sides do well. What can you see as to what these sides need to do? Yeah, so we can start. Again, we'll start with Port Adelaide. Um, and again, it's just, yeah, basically taking the premiership standards report from last year, um, looking to what they did late in the season, just seeing what I think are things they need to fix to sort of get to the to take the next step. So Port, if you look at their ticks, their big tick was defence last year. So third for points against. Uh, fourth hardest to score against per inside 50, hardest to score against from, or fewest points conceded from stoppages, fourth fewest points conceded from turnovers. So, you know, their defence was uh, big ticks. But it's sort of probably going the other way. So they were 10th for scoring per inside 50. So I mentioned they were the fourth best at defending their back 50, but only the 10th best at scoring in your forward 50. Again, a lot of the stats I say, we've got the top six sort of indicator next to it, that if you can get the top six into this, you get an 80 or 90% chance of making finals. So... Again, 10th for scoring version, they probably need to get into the top six for that. Um, and the big one for me, again, it's held them well because they don't, sort of don't play that fast game style, but they were only 14th for defensive 50 to inside 50 conversion rate. So, again, being able to move the ball from one end to the other um, doesn't sort of stack up with the other best teams that they're playing against in finals. So um, they didn't concede a lot of back half points. So it's not like they were getting bogged down in their back half and not being able to turn it over. It's just that they don't get it the full way into their, you know, they don't get it from full back into their full forward line to sort of get a quick score. They might get it to about halfway or attacking midfield and sort of goes for a stoppage. Um, it's just the way they're sort of set up. So again, probably some more cleaner end to end ball movement. Um, and yeah, just that, which will, you know, hopefully lead into better conversion rate once you get it inside of 50. I think they'd be, be the two main boxes that Port Adelaide would be looking to tick. As I said, defensive-wise, contested possession-wise, structure-wise, they held up really, really well. They were hard to move the ball against. Um, but, yeah, they're just, they're just the ability for themselves just to sort of get a quick end-to-end -end goal is always, you know, a good bonus to have in a game. Just think about this for a second. If Port do win the flag, and, and you guys have both picked them, and there's a couple of others that I think have as well in our, in our predictions, um, so it's not it's not an outrageous call. They're one of the favourites to do it. Would we then sit here in six months, seven months' time saying, I mean, we do this for every, every Premier, but could we say this is going to be the next dynasty because we look at their, their age, look at all their young players. I mean, mm. this they are set up. This is the thing that I get frustrated with people saying a port keep failing. It's like, look how many young stars they've got. They are set up. They've got a great mix of young talent and experience across all lines of the field. I, mm. I, the, I challenge, mean, the challenge for Port is going to be the fact that some of their older, more experienced players are on the cusp of being, you know, in the last season or two. 
So it's about also replacing those. You can have, you know, young talent that shows potential that is sort of balanced by this experience on the field. And, and so together they can mesh and, and do quite well. But there's some there's some serious talent that's going to be retiring in the next season or two, you, you would possibly think. Yeah, there are. But I also think there's there's certainly enough that's coming through. And, in, and would you be surprised if in two or three seasons time when players like Gray and Boak have gone, if you have players that really have just filled the void? Yeah. I think one of the one of the lines we haven't even spoken about. I think their defense is so underrated. I think Tom Jonas and Tom Cleary and even Trent McKenzie are the three lockdown defenders. They don't get as much credit as they deserve from the rest of the football world. I don't deserve. Uh, and then you've got Aaliyah Aaliyah, probably the best chop off player. And then you've got four or five genuine sort of you know running defenders that are comfortable down there. Burn Jones, Bonner, Burton. They they. They've got a lot of options they can Do use. Do we count Houston as a I was going to say Houston's another one that can either tag in the midfield or tag, you know, in your back line. So I think that's, you know, when you talk about when we get to the end of the year, what we might say about Port if they win the premiership, I think we'll be championing their defence. If they win the premiership this year, we'll be talking about how good their back six was and how, you know, how no one has spoken about Tom Cleary for the last five mm. or ten years, but he just gets his job done every day. Uh, moving on from Port, um, you, you look at the Lions and we've, we've talked about how they – had the chance in 2020 to have this home grand final uh, and have sort of struggled in, in final series. And again, last year we're, we're right up there and, and sort of couldn't, couldn't take that next step. What is it about the Lions that you think has stopped them from being those grand finalists or potentially even a premiership? So with the Lions, it's, it's really been about luck. And we've spoken about it on the podcast before, accuracy. Um, underrated part of the game. But for Brisbane, that's been, when you look at their finals, the final picture you take away is how unlucky they've been with accuracy in terms of they've scored below uh, their expected accuracy across their games, I think, by 10%. But their opposition's also kicked 13% above their expected accuracy. So it's outrageous. Like 20, yeah, and it's a 20% swing or so across the final. So, it, again, there is a bit of game stuff, game style stuff I can touch on in terms of what they'll try to be fixed. But you look at their finals in isolation and they can't help but say, we've just been unlucky. Hmm. We can win those finals eight out of 10 times we play them again but we've just lost a couple of finals by less than a goal. We've said it every year. It's, it's, I don't think, yeah, Chris Fagan would have to sort of, you know, throw anything out the window in the offseason and say, hey, we've got to retool this or we've got to refix this. Everything's been working for them. They've been top four, top six in a lot of the key areas. Um, but, yeah, in terms of finals, it's, it's seriously the accuracy that's really hurt them. But if you do talk about, you know, the one area of their game that they're probably not as strong in as the other good teams, again, it's probably that end-to-end ball movement. Uh, so they're um, similar to Port Adelaide, sort of outside. Um, I think they were 11th last year for moving the ball end to end. Um, they conceded um, the eighth most points from forward half turnovers or from opposition forward half stuff. So again, eighth is mid table, but all the finals are usually, you know, in the top three or four of that in, in terms of conceding the fewest points from opposition forward half chains. Brisbane can get stuck in their defensive half a little bit. And we saw a few problems earlier in the year. And I think middle of the year where they're conceding a lot of defensive half points. Um, but then they've got it going the other way. If they do get it past halfway, they were scoring better than anyone else. So it's that kind of, you know, getting stuck in the back half. Um, and we saw them think with their ball movement late in the season and fix that. I think that'll be an ongoing um, thing for Chris Fagan to monitor is how well are we moving the ball in terms of we don't want to go too risky, but we need to go quick enough to give our forwards, you know, you think of Charlie Cameron, Hipwood and Joe Danaher, they're probably three forwards that like to work in big open space. So you need to get the ball down there quick, quick to them. Um, but yeah, you've got to make sure you don't keep turning it over before you get to halfway. Mm, the, the lines are an interesting one, Jake, because you, you, you talk about sort of these, these forward half turnovers for the opposition, but, you know, you've got Daniel Rich, one of the better and longer kicks coming out of that defence, and you think, well, you know, as Christian said, if they do get it over that sort of point of halfway, they're one of the strongest teams for, for scoring and, and have been for, for many years, quite an explosive kind of side. Uh, you know, Cam Rayner comes back into this side. Um, Zorko hopefully fit for round one. You know, are you bullish on the lines? I am. I, as I said before, I have them runner-up, and there's no real science behind putting them there. I think there's a, quite a few teams you could have, but yeah, I, I think they, I think they're thereabouts and I don't subscribe to that belief of, oh, they've just failed in finals. Cause I don't see that trend. If you want to call it a trend of the, to that 23, 24% differential between expected scores to last season after season, after season, it just, mm. it's going to revert to the average at some point. Um, 
yeah, I just, but, but what do you do? Because it does feel like a trend if you're, if you're a Lions player or a Lions fan, but I don't think you can do anything. I think you just got to continue playing as you are. It's getting you into the top four position and you just got to almost cross your fingers when you, I'm, when you are playing a final. I'm with you. Stick to your guns. You've got to look at results and yeah, they, they keep making top four. Um, they, and as I said, yeah, they can't sort of, try to rewrite the script just because they've had some um, bad accuracy in a couple I of I remember games. a game against Richmond, I think it was a qualifying final a few years ago at the Gabba where they absolutely dominated them in the first half and they just miss after miss after miss. And every time Rich- Richmond took it up the other end, they'd kick a goal. And it was just like, how did they lose this game? And not only did they lose, they got belted in the end. Yeah. Um, in terms of teams that have been in the top four for many years, there's no team that sort of stands out as much as Geelong. Um, we kind of foreshadowed a, a fall for the Cats potentially, but every year they kind of top up around the trade and, and trade period and, and sort of have another go and, or pick up someone like Jeremy Cameron and they're contending again. Christian, can you kind of make a case for the Cats that this the window hasn't yet closed and there's still a chance to, to win a flag in this era? Well, uh, again, I think they are. And again, probably talk about it in here in terms of age is a funny one. What? where has it been proven that a team's too old to do something? So, you know, we talk about it in other sports as well as NBA and NFL. So all that team's a bit old. It's well, there's no proof in the pudding that you're, you're too old to win a premiership sort of thing. So um, yeah, I think, I think age is just an easy sort of um, sort of paintbrush to apply to Geelong when you talk about it while they're old and they keep topping up. But I think when you look at Geelong in terms of, you know, statistical and game style, their problem is their strength. They are so predictable the way they play that we know exactly what they want to play. They're going to beat you at stoppages. They're going to beat you at clearances. It's going to be impossible to move the ball against. And their games are very structured, slow. They're very careful with the ball. Um, which, again, in terms of what we've seen previously, it stacks up really, really well in home and away, but it hasn't sort of held out for them in finals, which is where chaos footy sort of comes in. So, again, just comparing them to Melbourne and looking at turnovers in a game, just being able to sort of, lose possession of the ball and win it back and lose possession and win it back and a little bit of chaos. Melbourne had the most turnovers per game of any team last year themselves. They had 77 and a half times they turned the ball over. So if you told someone, you know, the Premiers had the most turnovers of any team, it sort of doesn't make sense. Uh, But they were happy to do that. They were sort of playing with that high-risk game. So it's all right, yeah, we might turn it over. But as long as the opposition don't be able to take that turnover chain end-to-end and score against us, we'll be fine. So... Melbourne games, if you add in their opposition who turned it over 71 times, Melbourne team, Melbourne games had 149 turnovers per game last year, which was, um, I think, the most of any team. Geelong are clearly the lowest. So they turned the ball over 64 times per game. So had the ball the same amount of times as Melbourne, turned it over 14 times less. Um, and their opposition only turned it over 64 times. So they're winning it back less as well because they're sort of playing with that slower structure. So 128 times per game, the ball's sort of changing hands from a turnover for Geelong. Mm. Again, that's the way they want to play. They can dictate the game style in home and away. can be quite frustrating to watch sometimes as a fan because they go slow and they make the opposition go slow and it doesn't look like the ball's sort of pinging from end to end. But then the finals come around and, and they play someone like Melbourne in the prelim. And I know Melbourne smashed them from stoppages, but... They just got totally blown away by the team that just loves that chaos footy. Just doesn't need the ball to be in a certain situation. We can score from this situation. We can score from a turnover, a clearance, forward half or back half. That's what Melbourne bring to the table. Geelong are probably more like, no, we need to win it out of the clearance, get it into our forward half, and that's how we generate some scores. So, yeah, it's almost embracing chaos will be... um, be Chris Scott's biggest thing. And another little one looking at their defense. It's funny, just before we just before we move on from this this point, we talk about how we want the Lions to stick to their guns, but we kind of want Geelong to do something different and embrace this chaos. It's funny well, how they like need you can to kind of, because yeah. they're almost playing too safe. And they're not, you've got to take risks, especially in finals. Like if you want to go all the way. And but they again, don't like, like the Lions, they've made fun, they've done, they've made finals for many, many years and have made prelims and made a grand final even. Like it's like it's it's just funny how I think. You can look at one side and say, oh, that, that kind of, you know, let's tell them to stick to their guns. But then another side, it's just like, well, it hasn't, hasn't worked. It's like, again, where do you draw the line? Because Brisbane, you can look at their accuracy and you can see that in finals, they've won contested ball where they needed to. They've won expected scores or the, you know, time in forward half. So that their, their signature still stacking up, but the, the scoreboard's just letting them down. That was pure accuracy. Some of Geelong's finals where they've, you know, they've had high turnover games or been, I mean, they got scored by 
outscored, you know, 105 points or something from clearances Melbourne kicked against them in the prelim. They were just all at sea. And I know that, you know, they had a bit of health issues and they probably weren't playing fully fit, which, you know, once once that news came out a week later, it sort of made sense. But there's been a few years now where their, their actual game that they lost in the finals, it was completely broken. They weren't getting the same amount of inside 50s or they were getting smashed at clearances because they were too worried about setting up behind the ball. So I think that's the difference between Brisbane and Geelong is Brisbane's finals their numbers are still stacking up in the finals, whereas Geelong getting to finals, it's almost like their statistical profile has changed um, some years. So again, just looking at their defence, um, and it's a small one. So conceded 55 points against non-finalists last year. So just dominated them, 85 points against against the top eight. So it's a five goal difference when they're coming up against good teams. So it's just been able to tinker with that. And uh, yeah, being able to control the, the better teams and stop them from scoring like they do the bottom teams. There you go. The Dogs made the grand final last year. What do they need to do to take the next step? And, and is it likely? Well, with the Bulldogs, I sort of, again, they made the grand final. Um, I remember speaking, to, we spoke about on the podcast with Josh Dunkley, I think, you know, late in the se- season, they were number one scoring from clearances, number one scoring from turnovers. I think one of the best, most potent team for scoring once inside 50. Um, I think only Melbourne and Brisbane were better defensively for conceding a score from inside 50. So they had... It was almost like a perfect profile. It was almost like, well, this is too good. Something might break apart sort of thing. And it didn't. I mean, they made the grand final um, and it sort of stacked up all the way to that final week. But again, I've gone the more quirky uh, route with the Bulldogs. And I think this is this is a stat that says it all, doesn't it? doesn't matter how they play. Um, we've had, yeah, in the last 21 years, um, looking at the grand final results. So we've seen seven teams uh, in that time lose a grand final by eight or more goals. Um, so they include the Bulldogs last year, GWS, I think you reeled off a few earlier, Jake, um, in the pre-pod. Yeah. Of those seven teams, uh, sorry, of those, yeah, seven teams that have lost by at least eight goals, only two have made finals the next year and zero finals won amongst those seven teams. So the Doggies this year are trying to... Uh, so we go against history and become the first team to win a final after losing a grand final by more than we've gone eight goals, but they lost by more than 12 well, they, in the end. Even, so. even making a final seems pretty tough. Correct. Yeah, only two out of the seven to make finals. So again, it's it's a bit quirky and things like that, but it is, it seems to be a, a you know, a, a smashed in grand final curse that you can sort of, your grand final day can go so bad um, that it actually takes a year to recover yeah. from it. I can certainly say, but even when they won the flag in 16, I don't believe they made it in 17. Was that right? Yeah, they were. They were, yeah. They, so yeah, yeah. they don't have a great track record of, of returning. <laughs> to the so all the signs aren't, yeah. But as you say, all the numbers, all the, you know, you only have to look at the talent on the list and the way they play. And, you know, you who's really going to say that they're not going to make finals or, or, or win one? I think everyone will still expect them to be uh, contending for a top four spot, but... What do they need to do better? I I, I don't know. What, yeah, what I, I seriously think I said it, Christian, the stuff yeah. that they were doing well was excellent. I think, yeah, I was about to say round 22, I think statistically they were the best team last year. You know, Melbourne might have had maybe slightly better talent and um Port might have been higher on the ladder, but I kept coming back to the Bulldogs and saying, Well, there's not a lot that you can beat the Bulldogs in. They can beat you in every facet of the game, and they have been beating teams in every facet of the game. So, how yeah. important was the Josh was losing Josh Bruce? If if they had him for their hot for their run right through to the grand final, would they have beaten Melbourne? It's always a hard question to answer. I mean, we've thrown up that. I know Matt's thrown up the question we made with Jack Darling, and I think I looked at West Coast with him without Darling, and when he doesn't play, they're nine and seven or something. But it, it's so hard to make, especially with mm-hmm. one key forward. It's so hard to make that call of. How much does he hurt? Well, maybe he maybe he did, but maybe he made Norton better. Yeah. Um, so again, I, yeah, the, they as I said, they got through to the grand final without him. It was just that the final day of September was where it really, you know, the season really turned bad for him. I would say yeah. just on that stat about lo- losing by eight goals, and it was it eight goals in the grand final. Yep. I would say I know this doesn't really count for much, but it didn't feel like an eight goal loss that most of those other ones really did feel like blowouts. This one only really blew out late. And it let's be honest at half time or just before half around that halfway through the game, it felt like a coin flip. Jake, we're into season 2022. Come on. I know that you're, you and it Dunkley, was a good, you, how many times mates? have you watched the grand finals? Like in the off season? 
Oh, just just once. Just, just the once. once. One time, yeah. I've had to do training, so I think I'm up to about nine. Nine. <laughs> nine. Nine <laughs> times over it. since this place. So that's nine trainees doing four quarters each. That's um, that's what. That's about 360 Christian Petrarca disposal. And, 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 <laughs> and we did the prelim. We did Melbourne Geelong prelim before, so I've been sitting there the whole off season, just getting scared of Melbourne. <laughs> been watching those two games yeah. over and over again. How dominant well, we, we were. Need- we didn't even get to touch on the D's, uh, given their. Well, they don't the need hunted. to do anything better. We don't they... need to, um, and we'd love to touch on every other team, but uh, we thought we'd just go in depth on some of the contenders and what they need to do. Uh, we are running short of time, Jake. Justified hype or hyperbole time? Uh, the segment. I'll say uh, a sentence or a statement. You guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm speaking in hyperbole. Jake, Buddy will kick his thousandth goal this week. Um, well, I would never put anything past past him but i'm going to say no i think it'll happen probably round two and just quickly before we move on i, I we took we spoke about this last week but the afl i feel like the afl missed missed a trick here by not scheduling hawthorne sydney in either round one or round two i think that would have been a, a great occasion for him to do it against hawthorne well, well, there's no reason manage, they didn't manage to have both games in sydney though so little wins i guess yeah i guess but <laughs> I yeah, mean, I guess. Do, people, do people go to games in Sydney? <laughs> well, there's, there's the challenge. The gauntlet's been thrown down to Sydney and Giants fans, I guess, for round one. Get to the game. No $2 pies, but I'm sure uh, it'll be a good fest anyway. <laughs> um, Christian, Jack Darling's availability, and you sort of foreshadowed this. Uh, Jack Darling's availability, at least after the first month, changes your thoughts on West Coast's season? Uh, well, to be honest, no, because I wasn't big on West Coast season anyway. I had them as a, going back to our predictions, biggest slider. Um, so no doubt that Jack Darling's a huge loss. And I think Jack Darling playing makes Josh Kennedy's life so much better, especially Josh Kennedy at 30 odd. I don't think he's, you know, um, quite the same Josh Kennedy where he can take on three or four defenders all at once. So he needs Jack Darling for the chop out. But um, yeah, I think West Coast is going to be an interesting watch this year. They're, you know, already got a few COVID protocols and a few health issues to start with, but that's the thing that we've been talking about them for the last two years, their depth. When, when their depth's tested, when, we're not sure how well they go and their depth could be tested straight away this year. So um, I don't think Jack Darling's their only big loss, but yeah, definitely, um, yeah, as I said, I don't, I don't have uh, huge hopes on West Coast going up the ladder this year. They're just decimated at the moment, the Eagles. Uh, I feel like every year, at the start of every year, you look at all the injury lists and it's West Coast seem to be missing their whole midfield at the start of every season. Luke Shuey's never fit. No. He just can't Shuey, get on the mark. Yo, injuries and... Sheed, they're all... I mean, yeah. it's just, I just don't see... It's going to be a tough, tough season for, for West Coast. I could certainly see them finishing bottom two, bottom three. Yeah. Their um their match against Gold Coast this week I think is is really take, interesting. I'm taking the Suns. Yeah, I, I think I will too. Um, and we'll talk about footy tipping in, in a little bit. But yeah, I, I think the Suns are a real chance to to roll them in round one. And and given where their injury list is at, Jake, and you've mentioned it, it's quite long. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, a poor start to the year, and and suddenly, as we said last week, the pressure on Adam Simpson just just racks up. Um, Jake, the over under on fifty meter penalties being paid for being demonstrative to an umpire in round one is 20. Did you set that mark? I did. Yeah. Two and a half a game. I'm going to go under, but it's obviously it's tough for the first round because you know, that's where you it's, it's going to naturally be higher to start with and sort of fall away as players and coaches adjust. But yeah, I'll probably go under, even though I know we saw a lot at various points in preseason, but I think, I think, that was a chance to get it out to learn and adjust because I think a, co- I don't, I think a coach will we they you know and no no coach wants any fifty meter penalty but having to put up with that type of fifty meter penalty, that's just an instant drag and and spray on the phone. So I think players will learn very quickly and even watching you know if we see two or three on Wednesday night, I think the players that will be watching that and I think most players will be watching that, um, will get a will will pretty much learn from it quickly. And that's what we had. We had eight given against Melbourne in the first game of the Amy series um, and another 25 paid across the rest of the teams for the round. So we'll sort of, uh, yeah, send the message out once and everyone will get the get it from, you know, game onwards. And I, I did notice that Geelong Gold Coast was the final match of that Amy series round one. And you could see a lot of players telling their teammates, hey, shut up and just get away from the umpire. Yeah. They were very quick to run in and push their teammates away from the umpire. Just, just as a quick sidebar, do we like that? Do we yeah, like yeah I don't think yes. you need to be demonstrative. You don't need to you say this to the umpires. It doesn't help. With, like, 
I'm all for this rule. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, that's all we've got time for today. Footy tips, make sure you get involved. Um, don't forget to sort out your competitions because, like we said, uh, if you're listening to us on Tuesday, the first round starts tomorrow. And if you're listening to us on Wednesday, you've only got a few hours. So sort out your competitions, get your mates together, put your reputation on the line. And you can even tip with us or tip against us, Jake. If you go to footytips.com.au slash ESPN footy pod, all one word, well, I think if you just search that in the footy tips app, you can join the competition there. You can put yourselves up against Jake and myself and Christian. You'll be involved. Yep. And everyone else. So no, it'll be good fun and we'll have to organize a prize as well see i'm just i'm just oh, making you're throwing this stuff out, up as we throwing go, out but... promises every willy-nilly at the moment what's <laughs> well, going there's on a nice, there's a nice uh sharon behind you maybe we'll maybe we'll, we can uh we can give that away <laughs> leave my sharon alone uh thanks team for joining us for another week uh round one action can't wait and uh to everyone at home we'll speak to you in the next one Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.